God has made us free. Amen? How was your 4th of July? Was it good? Give me a scale 1 to 5. How was it? 5 being the best, 1 being eh. All right? Hold it up high in the air like you just don't care. That's right. Very nice. My 4th of July was awesome. Family time was great. We went to Town Lake and watched some fireworks. And we got to see uh, Bridgeland's fireworks at the same time. These, man, these little communities, they have nice shows. You don't even have to go downtown. It was great. The picture that I will have in my mind, though, from, from this 4th of July, I'll try to remember. Uh, my son has a friend. His name is Caden, Caden Porter. And they fight and play, and, and, as kids do. And sometimes they fight and don't play and fight. And, uh, but the, they were kind of having one of those nights and back and forth and chasing and wrestling. And uh, we go to the fireworks at Town Lake, and the fireworks start, and you, just, you got them over here on the, the side. And then the boys are right here, and they're just arm in arm and flag in the air. And I was just like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. And I looked around. It was kind of an awesome scene there at Town Lake. And just the awesomeness of it was seeing people of, of different backgrounds and ethnicities. And here we are on this, this blanket of freedom. It was a beautiful picture of, of, uh, of who we are as, as Houstonians and just this awesome moment. What is your favorite thing from this 4th of July? I, I put a little box, we put it in your notes. If you want to pull those out, you can. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I try to put a little doodle section every time that I uh, have notes because when, as a kid, I was a doodler, okay? I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm, I'm going with it, doodler. Uh, and so, favorite picture of what your 4th of July this year that you want to kind of have in your brain. And as you're working on that or thinking about that, uh, let's open the word today to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be at the end of chapter 5 and, and 6. We've been in this series on freedom, and uh, coincidentally, freedom, Independence Day kind of all fell together, and it was a, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and today, we're going to be closing up uh, that series. And so Galatians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 25, the very end. Okay, and then we'll flow right into 6. Are you ready? Let's do this. Let's, let's change it up a little bit. Everyone stand. Let's stand. And for the reading of God's Word, it's, it's a pretty cool thing to do. And uh, as I'm reading, why don't you just read this with your eyes and your mind, okay? Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living and active. I pray that you would meet with us in this place right now. God, speak to our hearts, Lord, through your word. We praise things in your name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I don't know if you've been with us in this series, but in Galatians, it's all about freedom. It's all about grace. And Paul has been preaching to these new converts, these Gentiles that are now Christians. And it's been a beautiful thing. We've talked about identity. We've talked about vision. We've talked about how we're in this war and we're fighting against the sinful nature that we have inside of each one of us. And now we've kind of come into the conclusion here. And, and, and Paul's trying to wrap things up. And there have some, been some things that have been happening in the churches in Galatia. You can, you, can, you can hear it a little bit in chapter 5. He's kind of hinting at it. 
at it. When he's talk about, talking about this conceitedness and there's been fighting and, and envy and, and biting among the people. And uh, it's, it's kind of a nasty scene there. There's this back and forth. And, and there's Judaizers, these Jewish Christians have come in and tried to break up what Paul started. This message of grace. And there, there's been just some back and forth there. And then there's this, this phrase that really sticks out. If someone, this is in the, the first verse of, of chapter 6, he says this, if, if someone is caught in sin, if someone is caught in sin, now this phrase would really be kind of a, a flashback point. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Wayne's World, literally, literally, your flashback scene, you're going back. All right, we're going back to the Gospels here. And if someone is caught in sin, that would click, especially for this clan of Jewish Christians, because at that time, when someone was caught in sin, it was an opportunity. It was an opportunity to, be pro- to prove to everyone else how righteous someone was, like a Pharisee or a teacher of the law. And there would be times where you would go, well, <laughs> look at that person. Look how bad they are. And it's really a chance to make yourself look good. That's what the bottom line, the, the, the secret, the underlying thing was happening there. And over and over again, you see this in the Gospels, and you saw Jesus several times have these confrontations with the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and it was, it was kind of intense, intense. And, and this, this attitude was there all the time. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been 100% right, but also 100% wrong at the exact same time? Yesterday was... Melly and I's uh, 11th anniversary, 11th anniversary, yes, July 6th, it is a great day to get married, people have been getting, we had a, a, a wedding here the other day, an awesome celebration with the Flores family, great day, uh, we've had an, an awesome 11 years of marriage, it's been, it's been wonderful. One of the things that I, I love about my wife is that she is a competitive person, I am a competitive person, I don't know if you know this about me, Super competitive, especially in sports, but in games, in life, in everything. One of my first, uh, when I was first in ministry, I actually, uh, we had a volleyball night, and uh, the net was like eight or seven or six feet tall. I don't know what it was, but I just thought this was an opportunity just to cram it down some kids. Uh, I'm going to be honest, it's pretty embarrassing. I thought, you know what? I've kind of always been this mediocre athlete all my life, but uh, now I'm a youth pastor and I get to like beat on, on middle school kids, and so uh, I was like, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm great at dodgeball. And ball. So I was slamming volleyballs and basketballs and things, and, and I had a parent pull me aside and say, you got to chill out, man. Well, you're going to hurt somebody. Simmer down a little bit. Simmer, simmer down. Uh, and so, but I'm competitive, all right? My wife is competitive. She played college soccer, and I love this about her. I, I've, I've said this a couple of times. I think in the middle of a, of a game, and maybe this is a true story, she would like poke somebody's eye out and like spit in their ocular cavity to win. That's how, but then afterwards, she would, after the game was over, pick their eye up, put it back in, and go to Denny's to eat with them afterwards. Uh, but we are, we're that kind of competitive nature together. Uh, it's, a, it's a cool thing, and especially when we're playing games, uh, even board games now. And uh, I got to tell you, though, through the years, uh, we haven't had many arguments. But the times that we have are over the silliest things. And I am the kind of person that I want to win. I, I am right. 
And, and, and it isn't even about the argument itself. It's about proving that I am right. And so in the middle of these arguments, they start off as, in my mind, just kind of debates. Like, we're just trying to prove each other's sides. And, but inevitably what happens is that I, I have said on several occasions something that I really did not mean. Something really hurtful. My attitude in the middle of that is switched into this like, man, I'm going to prove that I'm right no matter what. And I have, I've done some pretty hurtful things and hurt my wife in those moments. Have you ever been 100% right and 100% wrong? You could be fighting for even the right thing and do it in the, in the wrong way, hurting people. I was at Starbucks the other day, and uh, I don't know if you go to Starbucks, but I frequent there, and uh, I like to go there with my earphones on, but sometimes I don't, uh, I don't uh, have music on, so I can just kind of hear conversations around me because people think, oh, he's just listening to music. Uh, <laughs> so they talk about everything, which is great material. Uh, <laughs> so I go to Starbucks, and I order my, my drink, and I'm up there ordering it, and I leave my computer and my Bible open. And a woman has come, and uh, she is sitting beside where I, I was at the table, fairly close to that area. And uh, I, I go up to my seat, I have my coffee in my hand, and uh, she says, oh, man, I see that you're a Christian. Let me just tell you where I've been this week. And uh, she's just excited. She's just pumped. And I thought she would have been, like, running or something, but she's very excited. She told me that she was in Austin, and she was fighting for this, you know, this bill, abortion uh, bill to basically ban abortions. You guys have heard that on the news. I mean, and I don't know, probably every person in this room believes that abortion is, is wrong. And, and she's just talking about the scene there, and, and the way she was describing it, we were, I mean, we were picketing, and we were, and there were the people over there, there was, those demon people were over there, and they were singing that demon music. And the whole time I'm having this, this chat, I'm just kind of listening to this. There was a man across the way in Starbucks, and he's, he's suddenly put everything down and is listening to everything. And uh, he chimes in. And he says, well, you know, don't you think our country is kind of 50-50 on that issue? You know, you, I, can't, I can't really get a read on if he's a Christian or not or, or where he is in faith. He said, don't you think that it's kind of 50-50 on the issue of, of abortion? And uh, he's, he said, you know, I, I, my observation is that they're kind of this back and forth. And it seems like both sides are kind of mudslinging and things get worse and worse. And I was trying to, you know, almost encourage this, encourage this guy a little bit. And I said, you know what, I've even seen people, I've seen stories about bombing of abortion clinics and things like that. And the woman jumps in and says, oh, we wouldn't do that. That's illegal. And the guy and I, we looked at each other like, oh my, oh my goodness, she might have a gun in her purse right now. <laughs> it is Texas. And, uh, and, and let me, I want you to make sure, I want you to hear me clearly here. Hey, I am against abortion a thousand and ten percent, okay? Demon people, demon music. And, and, and kind of this was this, the feel of, of what was going on. And, and maybe, can we just say this, maybe as a the church universal, maybe we've been so focused on trying to be right that we've hurt a lot of people along the way. Hmm. There's, a, there's a passage of scripture in Luke, and uh, Jesus is, is, is speaking, it's in Luke uh, chapter 18, and he says this, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and, and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. On a, 
one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers and even like the tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all, all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Can I just tell you a statement that's true? And you see it all throughout the Bible. God hates prideful people. He can't stand pride. Not, he doesn't hate the people, he hates the pride in us. That's self-righteousness. And he embraces and he loves humility. He loves people that are, have humility in their heart and their eyes. And James 4, 6 says this, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. He shows favor to the humble. Pride, it's that thing that's inside of us that's where we demand respect. We demand even power and attention. And it's that idea of, of building ourselves up, maybe even to, to make others look, look bad. We see another example of this in John chapter 8. And it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's that story, we're kind of familiar with this story because it's been rehashed a little bit, a lot lately. It's the story where the woman is caught in adultery. Do you remember that story? The, 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 the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they bring this woman in and she's caught in the act. So we don't know if the act was actually happening and they have set a trap for her. And here, maybe she's even barely clothed. And they throw her in front of all the people. Can you imagine being in that scenario where you're in the middle of, you're busted. There's no doubt about it. She, she committed sin. She was wrong. She's there and she's got all these people looking around her. And the, and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they say, you know, it is the, the law. It's the law that she would be stoned. And I'm sure at this time, these people were used to seeing stonings. That, that, that stones were in the hands of the people that were there. She's surrounded. And there's Jesus. What do you say we should do with this woman? No. Jesus. Beautiful scene. And the thing I love about Jesus is, is the way he acts in this, this, this time. He, he stoops down, and he begins to, to ride on the ground. And to ride on the ground, you have to have, you know, you got to have your head down. You can't be looking up. Now, here's this woman over here. She's in the middle of this crowd, and, and, and there's Jesus, the one that probably can judge her because he's the one that's made everything. He's the only perfect person in that, that, that area. And, and, and the Bible says she stood amongst them. But you know what? In my mind, after a, a while, she probably got down in the fetal position and was just hands overhead. She's seen stonings before. She knows, waiting for that first stone to fly, that first rock. Where is it going to hit her? On, on her leg? On her head? On her, maybe her ear? But Jesus doesn't, doesn't look at her with these, these, these eyes of, that are around her in the circle. Instead, he's over there, he's riding in this, the sand. Now, oftentimes we focus on the people with the stones in their hand. But let's focus on Jesus for a minute. He, he writes in the ground. He doesn't, doesn't look over at her because he doesn't want to embarrass her even more. And there is our Lord. 
Our, our God is a God of grace and humility. And he, and he says those words that we know. He says, Let he who, cast, who is without sin cast the first stone. And suddenly the stones begin to drop. What a beautiful moment of grace and mercy. Can I tell you, the foundation of our church, the foundation of the church universal, the ch foundation of who we are has to be grace. That's got to be who we are, the lifeblood of who we are. That in our eyes, people see grace. In our lives, people see grace. They see love. They don't see judgment. It, it, you, there's a, a, set, a very just disturbing thing that you can see today. If you go to Google, you, if you type in the phrase, why are Christians so? And then what happens with Google, they, they, the search engine, the things that are searched for the most will pop up the quickest. Like if so, if you go, say, why are Christians so? And then you push an A. Then the first words that, that come to mind, the first things that are searched for, why are Christians so annoying? Why are Christians so angry? Why are Christians so arrogant? Those are the A words. Going down, B, why are Christians so boring? Why are, so, why are Christians so, B, bad at dating? I don't know what that means, but <laughs> that was funny. Why are, C, why are Christians so closed-minded? Why are, why are Christians so divided? Why are Christians so fearful? Why are Christians so judgmental? Why are Christians so mean? Why are, are Christians so self-righteous? Maybe, maybe it's because We've forgotten what grace looks like. Uh, there are these pictures from the 90s. Uh, I, I've met, talked to, I think I even showed this before, but I love to, to think about it and see them. Remember those magic, uh, magic pictures where you look at something, and they were really popular there uh, back in the day, but you look at this jumbled picture, and somehow in the middle of all that, you're going like, to see another object is suddenly going to appear magically. Have you ever done done these before? Shake your head. Yes. All right. Thank you. Good. All right. So we're going we're gonna to try it this morning. Uh, okay. You, you, there's different techniques. Some people say relax your eyes. Some people, if you get really close and you can see it, I mean, there's different, you know. Can you see what the picture is here? I'm going to give you a few seconds. No. Anyone? Any guesses? Shout out your guesses. Zombies. Zombies. <laughs> Someone saw World War Z last night. <laughs> All right. The answer is actually it's a Ford sign. It's like in there behind it. Have you ever have you done those before back? Do you remember that? When in the 90s, people would show me these pictures and they would go, Oh, can't you see it? It's right there. It's beautiful and it's glorious. It's it's like a dolphin jumping over a waterfall, and, and the dolphin has got like a, I don't know, a croissant in his mouth, and it's got butter on it, and it's great. I'm like, no, I don't see the dolphin. And they would say, well, do this, put your, you know, it's close to the picture, and I would try it, and I couldn't see it, and, and they would finally, they just would keep asking, do you see it, do you see it? And finally I would go, yes, I see the dolphin. Talk to someone else. I see it. Now, did I see it? No, I didn't see it. I didn't get it. Uh, keep going. Let's see if we can get the next one. All right. This one? I'll give you a few seconds. 
This is a little tougher. Hmm? No? <laughs> the dolphin jumping over a waterfall with the croissant in his mouth. Okay. <laughs> it actually is a shark. Lynn said that. I don't know. Was, were you in free service to see that? No. He has the vision. He has the vision. There it is. All right, last one. Last one. What is this? Can you see? Can you see it? It's deep. Got it? It's a picture of Mother Teresa. No, I'm joking. It actually is. It's toast. It's toast. There it is. That is the picture. Someone yelled it out. Great job over there. So, but, you know, I think about this, and I think about these magic pictures. I think about grace. And I think about, you know, there's been times where I just didn't get it. I didn't understand it. And then suddenly, like, when I was at a certain age, it just kind of hit me. And I realized that what Jesus had done for me, and I realized that I am a sinner, and I am in need of a Savior. I need God's grace. I'm dependent on Him. And when that hit me, when suddenly when I saw that, and I realized who I was, and that, you know, man, I'm so desperately in need of God and His love. It suddenly hit me, and it changed my heart, and it changed my life forever. And hopefully you've had that moment where grace just you got it. You suddenly got it. And it hit you in your heart and your life, and it changed everything for you. I wonder if the farther away we get from, from the picture, and we, we kind of forget of what that, that looks like. Maybe we forget what God has done for us, and we forget to pass that along to others and pass that excitement of what grace is all about. And maybe that's the scene here in, in, in Galatia. The other thing about this scene, though, if you go back to it, and Jesus is there with the woman. The part I loved as well is where when everyone leaves, you know the scene, they, they leave, rocks are, are falling, and she's there, and Jesus asks her, has anyone condemned you? And the woman says, says, no one. And Jesus says, well, neither do I. And then he says this. At this point, I think he's looking at her, looking her in the eye and says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. When Jesus had kind of developed relationships, shown grace, shown mercy, he was able to minister to her, to speak truth into her life. And that's the, the call of God has given to us as a community of believers. Um, there was a, a great... Uh, a great minister in, 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 in England. His name is John Wesley. And, and our church is basically founded on uh, uh, everything that, that he was about and, and believed and preached. And he was responsible for some amazing, amazing revivals in that, that, that area. And it just revolutionized the whole country. And uh, there's a scene where he actually is, he's, he's gone into to England. And it's a time where spirituality and, and morality and and things were uh, such a downward turn for the, for the country. And, and it says this, he, he came into a town, he, and there's a quote up there, he, he came to Newcastle about six in the day, and after a short refreshment, he walked into the town, 
I was surprised, he said, so much drunkenness, cursing and swearing, even from the mouths of little children. So I never remember to have seen or heard from before in, a so, in so a small a compass of time. Surely this place is ripe for him who came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So John Wesley saw this scene, and he saw what an opportunity for God. What an opportunity for God. But John Wesley did not believe in this, this kind of this place where we've developed where it's individual salvation. You believe what you believe. I'll believe what I believe. I'll mind my own business. You mind your own business. And that was not his philosophy at all. He believed that community is where holiness came from and where we, we, we can actually live and thrive. He said this, the gospel of Christ knows no religion but social. No holiness but social holiness. And he, what he did was this. He would set up these small groups of 6 to 12 people. And they would come together and they would spend time together and they would pray. And they would laugh. And they would live life together. And they would ask these questions of each other. And, and you have them in your, your worship folder this morning. It says this. And this is obviously in uh, 18th century language. How doth how doth your soul prosper? Translation, describe your personal walk with Christ this week. Next question, what advantage have taken of the means of grace? Translation, what are you doing to foster your own spiritual growth? Are you attending church services? Are you praying? Are you listening to podcasts? I don't think they had podcasts in the 18th century. Uh, are you reading the Bible, personal worship time, and, and so forth. What opportunities... Have you had for service and witness, and how did you avail yourself to them? Translation, what opportunities did you have to serve other people and to tell them about Jesus? What temptations have you faced, and, and how did you overcome them? So he set up these, these groups, these, these small groups, and they were asking each other these questions. There was accountability. And within these small groups of living life together, a revival broke out. A revival broke out over all the land, and thousands and thousands of people, their lives were changed. Because, you see, it's not just about us as individuals. We are part of a community of believers, a grace-filled community. We need to have humility in our eyes, grace in our hearts, and we need to seek and know the, the will of God. And that's what was happening in these, these small group sections. I love what it says in Galatians 6.2, it says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. We're in this thing together. We're in this thing together, and there's this temptation to be, to have the attitude really of our culture of this, don't judge me. Maybe even pride would, would pe keep people at arm's length, but God has called us to grow closer as a community. Uh, my father, he was in the Air Force, and uh, my, I, several people have asked him, uh, did you ever fly a plane when you were in the Air Force? It was around the time of Vietnam. He said, nope, but I flew a typewriter. That's always his joke. I don't really get it, but he flew a typewriter. That actually kept him out of, of fighting, so I'm thankful for that. Uh, he was at Cra Allen Cra Craig Air Force Base in Selma, Alabama. He was stationed there. And uh, one Sunday morning, he went out and wanted to go to town. And so he went off from the side, to the side of the road, and he stuck his thumb out. He was a hitchhiker. He hitchhiked in a town. A couple came by, picked him up. 
in, in their car and said, well, we're going to town. We're going actually to the uh, Church of the Nazarene. We're going to the Church of the Nazarene. You're welcome to come with us. My dad saw the ride, said, yes, indeedy. I'll go with you to the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, I'm there. He goes to church. That morning, he meets my mother uh, there in the small little church in Selma, Alabama. And uh, when he met my mother, they started meeting other couples. There was the, the Driggers and the, and the Sorrells family and the, and the Doll Bears. The Doll Bears are, are this couple uh, right here. And that's my, my, parents, my parents are the two on my, my right now. And that's Bobby and Linda Doll Bear. And these couples would get together and they would go to church together and they would go on Sunday and Sunday morning, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday, you remember those days? Uh, and uh, they would go out to eat together. They would go to Wendy's and wherever, and they would, uh, they would hang out at people's homes. You know, when you're a young couple, you don't have a ton of money, you didn't go out to eat a whole bunch. They would go and they would hang out together, and they would talk about God. They would pray together. They would laugh a lot. Sometimes I remember them crying. It was just great times together. These, these couples, they grew closer and closer. And some couples came, some couples uh, left, and... It was just a variety and just kind of was a moving parts there. But uh, it was a beautiful time because my parents really grew in their relationship with God. They got married. They, they went to Trevecca, and uh, they came back to this town of Selma, this little church. And they just kind of lived life together. And uh, my dad, a school teacher, I, my parents were telling me about this. He, would, he was teaching high school. And uh, he, he, he came home and basically said, I can't do this anymore. They're, they're bigger than me, and they're meaner than me. My dad's uh, about five, six. And uh, it was Bobby and Linda Dahlbear that said, you know what? There, there are other, why don't you think about elementary school? And so that led my dad to teaching elementary school. And uh, my favorite story about Miss Linda, she, there, I don't know if you know this, but Alabama is, is, has a history of being racially divided. Uh, to say the least. Uh, and so I experienced that uh, firsthand in my, in my life. During this time when I was really young, very, very young, in the early 80s, the schools began to separate and to segregate. White people began to go to, to private schools, and, and black people stayed in public schools. But Bobby and Linda, they taught the third and the fourth grade. Miss, Miss Linda taught the third grade, Mr. Bobby taught the fourth grade. And, and they refused to, to go teach at another school. They asked, why? In fact, the question they would say that when people left, well, why are you leaving? Um, and there was a, a fight that broke out in Miss Linda's class between two uh, African-American girls. And uh, they got into a fight. Miss Linda breaks it up. And she says, well, what was the fight? What's this fight about? And one girl says, Miss Linda, tell her that you, you, are, you are black. Tell her that you are black. I, I told such and such that your mama was white and your daddy was black. And Miss Linda goes, well, sweetheart, actually, no, I, I'm, I'm white. And she looks at her and says, but I've never, I've never I didn't know that, that, that white people love black people. And, and you love us. That was kind of the area that they lived in. Uh, Miss Linda was my, uh, my, my Sunday school teacher. Growing up, that's me, by the way, uh, the cute one. Uh, that's pride. Um, she was my Sunday school teacher, and Mr. Bobby was the Sunday school superintendent. 
And Mr. Bobby was the coolest guy. He, he's just the guy that he is the, he, we would do all these contests. We had Pew Packer Sunday, where you try to pack the pew to get the most people in. There was Old Fashioned Day. Uh, there's, there, yeah, Old Fashioned Day. That's where you, this was some kind of, I, I do remember actually taking this picture. Uh, and uh, there's Mr. Bobby, Miss Linda. I, remember, you just dress up old-fashioned and you invite friends to come to church. But, but he had this, this, this mind and this, this, this eye for, for others. He wanted to see other people come to know Christ. And we had another day that was a balloon launching day where we had these balloons full of helium and they would put little messages in there that said something like, Jesus loves you and so do we. Come to visit us. And we let the balloons go and who knows where they, they went kind of, kind of thing. Uh, one Sunday, I remember getting in, tr- uh, in trouble at church. Our, our church was so small, and it was like a, a track around the church. And I believe I, I ran around that track every single Sunday. And uh, Mr. I got in trouble. My parents were doing something else. So I got sent to Mr. Bobby's office because he was the superintendent. And I had to sit in Mr. Bobby's office. And I was feeling pretty bad. And, and uh, Mr. Bobby, uh, he, there, he, was, he was kind to me. He was gracious to me. And there was this, this uh, doorbell in the office of the superintendent. The doorbell was like the coolest thing to every kid in that church because the doorbell rang the bell through the entire church to tell people there's five minutes left for Sunday school. I don't know if you remember those. Did anyone have those? So he got to ring that bell every single Sunday. I thought, man, he's got the coolest job in all the world. I want to be a Sunday school superintendent when I grow up. Uh, so there I am. I'm feeling rotten. I'm feeling bad. My parents are going to get me after church, and who knows what's going to happen there. And Mr. Bobby looks at me and says, hey, do you want to ring the bell? I was like, yes, I do. And so and I rang that bell longer than anyone's ever rang that bell before. It was great. And, and, and Mr. Bobby is the coolest guy. Ms. Linda is the coolest my family, they, they grew up together. They're awesome times together. I remember, I remember going to the hospital when I was just four years old. We, would, we took several trips up to Montgomery because the, the hospital in Selma was so small. We went to the hospital because uh, Mr. Robert and Miss Linda, they, they'd been praying for so long for a baby. And finally they had one. And little Robert was born, but he was born three months premature. And I remember my parents meeting with the, the doll bears in, in the, the hallway several times, praying together, talking about God, crying together. And it was a, a great day when Robert came home from the hospital. I also remember on July 2nd, 1986, when my parents received uh, the word after being pregnant for a few months that they'd lost the baby. would have been my, my second sister. And the first couple that was there were the doll bears. Cry together. Pray together. Mm-hmm. It was Mr. Bobby uh, that uh, one night when my, my parents gathered with this small group of, of other couples, there was griping that was going on amongst the couples. Griping about the pastor. Who knows what was, I don't know, the color of the carpet. Who knows? Uh, they were griping together, and uh, they were saying the pastor this and the pastor that, and Mr. Bobby stood up and said, this is not getting us anywhere. 
what are we doing? We're not, we're not going to talk about this anymore. We're not going to talk like this anymore. We're not that people. And it was never talked about again. It was Mr. Bobby and Miss Linda that were there when, probably the longest, when we, we packed up from Selma, that little church, and we, we moved to South Carolina. My parents stayed connected with them and uh, have watched them through the years and their family grow bigger and bigger. They have uh, Robert, their son, and Anna, their daughter. Um, and uh, Mr. Robert, he retired, or Mr. Bobby, he, he retired a couple years ago, and he had this vision that the church could be more than just being about the church. And so they started reaching out to the high school and the middle school and, and, and marrying the church and the schools together and inviting athletes and, and families to come in to eat meals together, to pray together. And hundreds, if not thousands, of athletes have been affected because of Mr. Bobby's ministry there in Selma, Alabama. That's him and, and his daughter. In a couple of hours, there's going to be a service in Selma, Alabama. Mr. Bobby, uh, he's going to be there, but he's going to be there, uh, not really there anymore. You see, on, on, on Thursday, he, uh, his body f- full of cancer, he went home to be with the Lord. And there'll be a small church in Selma, Alabama, that will be full of people, full of people, couples and kids and all kinds of people that have been affected by the life of Mr. Bobby and Miss Linda. See, the Bible calls us to live life in community, to live life in community and to love each other, to pray with each other, to lift up each other's burdens, to be there for each other. Not to be prideful or judgmental, but to be humble people that are full of grace, that are full of mercy, and extend that out, not only in these walls, but outside of these walls as well. That's what he's called us to be. And in verse 9, says this, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Mr. Bobby is reaping that harvest this morning in heaven. That's my prayer, my hope for our church, that we would be a people of grace, that we would love others, that we would humbly look out and remember that we are forgiven and we hope that you see that grace as well. We hope that you see not judgment in these eyes, but you see love, and you see mercy, and you see the look of a Savior that has called us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Let me give you some action steps this morning. The band's coming. You've got a, uh, you've got a worship folder maybe around you. I'm going to give you two or three things that you can do to kind of live out some of the stuff that we've talked about this morning. couple easy steps. The first thing is this. If you're in a life group, that's awesome. If you're not in a life group, we would love for you to be a part of one. 
this is living life. It's hard when we're like this as a, as a big group to really live life together. We need small groups like what Wesley did, 6 to 12 people kind of thing. And that's what we're going for with small groups. If you're not a part of a small group, take the step. Take the next step of being a part of one. To do that, you can, you can tell us, hey, I'm interested in a small group, and just fill that out and put it on a card. Or you can come see me or, or Pastor Michelle. So join a, a, a life group. Starts are an accountability group. An accountability group is, is, is taken even to a, a deeper level, where you're basically giving people permission to say, you know what, I'm going to welcome you in, and I'm going to be real with you. I mean, even, even realer than in a, in a life group. We, we heard about this in men's ministry breakfast a couple of weeks ago, and it was awesome to hear about what happens when guy groups and girl groups get together and they, they basically are, are truthful with one another and they hold each other accountable and pray for each other. Uh, you can also pray for others. Pray for others. It's easy in the, in the world that we live in to be so consumed with our own problems, our own stresses. You can be a part of something bigger. And as a community, we can pray and lift each other up. We're, we're doing something new. How many of you guys have your cell phone? you have a cell phone on you? Anyone own a cell phone? If you haven't, pull it out real quick. Pull it out real quick. We have a, there's a new cell text alert service that we have. You, you see it in, in your worship folder. It's right there in the yellow box. And uh, what you can do is this. You can sign up to be a part of a text alert system where when we have prayer requests and other things that are happening, you can find out about them. Get an alert. Maybe it's the, the 432 reminder to pray for our church and the future and what's happening. Uh, they're text alerts. Maybe there's someone that's in the hospital or someone that's uh, a family that is in desperate need and, and needs prayer. Text alert. If you want to be a part of that, you can, it's very simple. All you have to do is put in 23559, and you're going to put at, the little at sign, capital HFC prayer. I've been actually getting them in. I can tell that you've been joining all morning. That's great. If you want to get community reminders about what's happening in, 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 our, in the life of HFC or Houston First, and want to kind of hear about more things, you can text HFC community to the, to the same number, and, and we'll, we'll have that set up. The last thing, the last action step is to do good. Do good to other people. Dedicate your life to doing good. My goal, let me tell you, I don't know what my life would be like without Mr. Bobby and Miss Linda in my life. I don't know what it would be like. Uh, I don't know what my parents would be like. But I know this. I know that it's because of people like them, a community of people doing good for one another, that that's what the church is built on, and that's what God has called us to be. Yep, we'll back that up one more time. We'll leave it up there for a few seconds, and uh, you, can, you can fill that out. So there's some action steps, some real-life stuff. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to stand, and we're just going to spend some time. We need to thank God for the grace in our life. And, and as we're praying, as we're singing, let's ask God to have those eyes of grace and humility and maybe take the next step of, of getting closer as a community. God, you're good to us. Lord, thank you for meeting us in this place this morning, God. Lord, I pray that as we have talked and we've opened your word, God, I, I pray that... Lord, that it wouldn't be about what I've just said, Lord, but about the spirit that's been in this room, God, as you've worked in the hearts of people. God, I pray that you would help us to be a people that are a graceful people. And, and, and as people enter this sanctuary, as we live our lives out, Lord, that they would see that in our eyes, 
they would hear that in our voice. And they would, they would know it by the, the, the good that we're doing, Lord. And that's been a, your call from the very beginning, that, they would, that the world would know who are your disciples by the way we love one another. God, thank you. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you that you are the one, God, that is mighty to save. We pray these things in your name. Everyone said?